Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we're going to be discussing the Emmy contenders for comedy series. And uh, then you're going to hear a snippet from Dominic's interview with the great Sir Patrick Stewart. Yes, and we will definitely engage with John Luke. But before that, we're going to engage with some funny people. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, for so much of the past few weeks, we've been talking about the other elements of what's been going on in the industry, not the actual awards race. But now, now it looks like there is going to be some form of the Emmys uh, produced by and, and hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, whatever that form will be and whenever it'll actually happen still remains to be seen. I'm going to bet September 20th. You're going to bet. Oh, because they're they're ready to go with the show. They're going to do a show. Uh, I guarantee it. They've got the content. They're not waiting on anything. There's nothing else. Jimmy Kimmel will find a way to do it virtually or not virtually or however they do it, but it'll happen on that date. Um, you you are a man of tremendous optimism. I will not <laughs> argue with you except to say I have learned many things in the in the past four years in America which right. is no date is written in stone and everything is open to change. That is true. Uh, failing that, I do failing think that, it'll happen. It'll happen in September. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, let, let, you know, there's been a lot in comedy in recent years. I don't want to say it's been owned by Amazon, but they kind of have had pretty much planted their flag with, with oh Fleabag and the Marvelous Maisel. No Fleabag this year, sadly, Phoebe. So, what no. do you think, Pete? Well, here's the thing. We have no Fleabag and we have no Veep. So yeah. all we've got of a winner in the last several years is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which might have gone on to win a second uh, Emmy in a row. Usually that happens in these categories and that sort of thing. But um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel ran into its uh, stablemate there at Amazon, uh, Fleabag, which was a one season, uh, well, two seasons, but in terms of Emmys, it, it, it didn't figure into its first season. They ignored it, they hadn't seen it. So they made up for it, giving it everything last year. But Mrs. Maisel's back this year uh, with its season three. And so they are hoping and they're doing a big campaign around that. It also doesn't have to, have to compete with another heavyweight uh, I think would have been uh, HBO's Barry, also out this year. Yeah. So no Barry, no Veep, no Fleabag. This is an open race, I think, for the first time in a long time in comedy series. And uh, and and we could see some upsets, uh, particularly with the fact that, as I've said repeatedly on this uh, TV talk uh, thing we do here, podcast. This thing we do. Yeah. That uh, this, this thing, that we, thing do. we do. That um, people have been at home watching different things and seeing different things. And I think that might be reflected in the nominations, which as you know, are increasing this year, the Academy exactly. has. Um, and, and in fact, I also think, you know, when you talk about this being a much more of an open race, I'm, I'm gonna throw a name out there uh, on many levels, actually, not just the show itself, but also its, its creators and its actors, which is HBO's Insecure. 
which just wrapped up its fourth season, uh, the Issa Rae uh, co-created show, um, and I think has really hit new highs. And I think also has that unique, um, unique moment when it's really speaking to the moment of what's going on here in America with the Black Lives Matters movement, with the killing of George Floyd, and also with a look at African-American life in culture in a way that is actually stripping off um, the cliches and looking at realities. And I think that in something, maybe that doesn't seem so funny. I understand that. But in fact, the way that Issa Rae and Jay Ellis and executive producer Prentice Penny and the amazing Yvonne Orgy, who I definitely think is going to be up for a supporting actress role in, in, in comedy this year, the way they have helped craft this show and many others who've worked on it, I really think this could be Insecure's year. Well, I, I was going to say the exact same thing, Dominic, but about another show. Wow. I was going to say it considering the times we are living through right now, um, Blackish, which has been uh, every season, you know, in varying degrees nominated for Emmy, certainly Anthony Anderson every year, I think it's yeah. been on. And then there were a couple of seasons where the show and Tracy Ellis uh, Ross and everything. Then last year it was uh, beginning to taper off a little bit, but that show really does make an effort uh, to be about something and to do shows that have an influence. And now I think, the time for Blackish to understand what that series has been doing on network television. Uh, it, this might be ripe for it to at least get back in the game uh, as a nominee for comedy series again. I think so. But I'll tell you something. You, it's interesting you mentioned Blackish because of course, mentioning Blackish, of course, is you're talking about uh, a big four network show being on ABC, of course. Yeah. Um, and you know, big four, eh, not so much heavy hitters the past few years, more than the past few years in some of the drama categories, but still have a role in, in comedy, though, as we've talked about, streamers have played a bigger role in, in recent years. I do think, though, what's interesting is we're looking at a lot of season series finales this year. Right. We've seen The Good Place. We've seen uh, Modern Family. Those are both on big, big broadcasters. And then, of course, we have Schitt's Creek, the amazing show from Eugene and Daniel Levy, which was on Pop right. TV down here and up on CBC up in Canada. And we have HBO Silicon Valley. You know, I think you've often talked about this. There's a sentimentality factor that always plays into award shows, as well as there's a name recognition factor that plays into award shows. And I think certainly for this, these four, all of them have strong recognition factor, have great momentum, and they're all going to be in there for sure. Both I the series and their various actors. Yeah, I would, I would say that's okay. I don't know if that's going to play into Academy members thinking though, because last year you had uh, Kimmy Schmidt ending. Yeah. And uh, I remember doing Tina Fey for my Behind the Lens and they were out there and it didn't get nominated. And you know, it had been consistently. Sometimes a show just comes to uh, an end in terms of Academy uh, voters' minds and they stop. Big Bang Theory, you know, others like that. And they don't- And, that might, and I think that might be true here of Modern Family. But I think Silicon Valley, Good Place, especially The Good Place, and Schitt's Creek, I think they are really front of mind. The thing that I'm interested in, and of course there's no way of knowing this, is because Academy members, there are no actual face-to-face -face FYC here screenings and, and, and what have you this year, hence you and I aren't out there on the hustle with people, there's these virtual ones. The virtual ones are getting, at least the ones I've been doing at Deadline, we're getting massive amounts of people coming to them because they're essentially low-impact viewing and you get to you get to be a listen to the stars and creators talk um, directly. I do think though, that the difference in the way people are actually finding the shows that might be up for the categories this year, or maybe as you said, because they're watching so many of them over the pandemic at home 
and because there's the name recognition factor, I think some of these shows are just going to get in. I wonder if there's going to be too many shows, to use that cliche that are often used in other aspects of peak TV. Well, you, you may be right. You may be right. You mentioned Good Place. You mentioned Schitt's Creek. Okay, let's talk about that. Schitt's Creek, another show like Fleabag, no nominations its first season. Schitt's Creek, no nominations its first four seasons. Suddenly the TV Academy discovers it. It goes on Netflix or whatever happened to make them see it. Uh, and, and now it's a hot thing as it's going off the air. That's a definite factor there. Good Place has slowly been building. It's only a four season show period anyway. Uh, it seems they were behind the critics. The critics were way ahead on that one. And the TV Academy is slowly tried to uh, catch up. So those are a little bit different than a modern family or something like that. Silicon Valley, though, has been consistently in there. That's like a Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, it probably, uh, though, will have a, a nomination, I would imagine. It seems like they like it. I didn't see it this time, so I don't know if its last season was any- It was good. It was good. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I mean, I, I, look, series finales are really hard. And, you know, you know, you can- even if you can get the landing towards the end, a lot of them, a lot of them crash and burn at either the penultimate or the actual finale. They did a great job. They did a great yeah. job. You know, I, was it perfect? Of course it wasn't perfect, but it was good. It was really good. I want to talk about a newcomer here, Apple, which is coming in and they have a show called Mythic Quest. And uh, I actually watched the, uh, a show that I plan on nominating because I'm in the writer's branch uh, of the uh, Television Academy was actually- Conflict of interest. Repping oh. them. I am, I'll tell you, I have been, not been more impressed by a half hour of uh, uh, comedy this year than that virtual uh, one they put together. It, now here's the funny thing, and, and this is interesting, I think, when you say that, because you are clearly not their target market. This is a show <laughs> about a video game development company. It <laughs> has, it, it, it has uh, it, uh, people from, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia involved in it. It's a very much, inner office thing i guess you know f murray abraham is a part of it so there, there's that reach out i am really surprised that this is a show that you clicked on to did you see that show i did okay did you see the way they weaved every character i totally out that brilliant i, totally did. I will it's say a this brilliant piece of writing i will it say really this is. in this pandemic there have been a lot of virtual specials and virtual this and virtual that and almost all of them most of them work, but they're, they're, they are what they are, especially the benefit ones. There have been two instances that I think where the reality of what people are living through and the reality of how they're communicating by Zoom and, and, and WebEx and what have you was actually transformed into good television, which was that episode of Mythic Quest, surely. And they worked very hard and they had a great deal of support from the tech giant, from Apple themselves. I know there were stories that they talked about, about iPhones, multiple iPhones being delivered to each cast member, um, basically put outside their homes. They were then brought them in, they sanitized them, they learned how to use them within the home. So they were able to create a high degree of professionalism within this. The other example, of course, is CBS's All Rise, which deals with the, with the court system at the LA Superior Court. And they, because the courts are actually having to do this, they incorporated that into their drama. Would never work except for this one particular episode, but it really, really worked. Mythic well, Quest, though, was mythically high production value. And I think that, because that's been one of the things I think has really just kind of held a lot of people back because this doesn't look that great. No matter how great you try to make it look, they made it look really great. 
Oh, it, it looked it looked great, but I was really impressed just with the structure, the way they pulled that off. Uh, it, it was so professionally done uh, right down the line. Now, you know, uh, what about the actors out there now? Ted Danson keeps getting nominated uh, for Good Place. He's beloved by the television industry, but I, and Eugene Levy, I mean, my I, God. Look, I am, I am, I am no longer a member of the Academy because- Really, what, did we kick you out? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Groucho, I'm like I'm like Groucho Marx, buddy. I never want to be in a club that lets me be a member. Okay. Oh, you're kidding, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, um, and uh, but I were I still a member, I would be walking around putting Eugene Levy for number one pins on everyone. And Catherine I O'Hara. I, I think I think Daniel and I mean, look, Eugene Levy is a genius. He's a comic legend from his SCTV days onwards. And Shit's Creek was one of those moments where an entire career, you saw all, and Catherine O'Hara and Annie Murphy and Daniel Levy, of course, but all of them playing the Rose family, they just, they found something so unique and special. I was so glad because I think I was like one of five people in America who watched the show for the first couple of seasons. I was so glad when it hit the zeitgeist because it's just such a great show. And if anybody deserves an award, it's Eugene Levy. It's so funny. And a comedy so series, funny. you know, should be about funny in the end, you know, and so many of them, they go into serious places and things. I have to say funny to me always has been, maybe this is the year for Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, Great maybe. season where he builds the coffee shop next to well, the Well, I, I mean, I have to say, I think, you know, when you talk about Emmys, of course, you know, the realities of it is people submit their Emmy episode. And if I was the Curb Your Enthusiasm guys, I would, I would have submitted the MAGA hat episode because that, that was brilliant it was yeah. so great <laughs> it was so really great um but and i love that show and, and i love didn't think it was I going it. to be I, yeah. I mean i'll be honest with you when i heard that when i heard what they were doing i thought this is either going to be a train wreck it, well no i thought this is going to be a train wreck it's got one way or another this is going to fail right yeah. and they completely completely walked the high wire and made it work. It was brilliant. Oh, it was great. And Larry David's so great. But here he's playing, he goes back to the beginning of television sitcom where Jack Benny would play himself, you know, on yeah, a yeah. sitcom. And and that's it. And uh, George Burns. And, and rarely get Emmy recognition because they're playing themselves. But he's so good playing this character, this caricature of himself, that I think he deserves uh, a lot of attention too. What about... But, but where, well, look, where I'm really interested is the best actress in comedy, because I think yeah. without, without uh, no Julia Louis-Dreyfus, no, no Phoebe from Fleabag, we have some, now, Rachel from Marvelous Ms. Maisel, you know, past winner. She's can't great. Ever, can't ever say she's best and perfect, but she's great. But I think you really got to look at things like Issa Rae, Pamela Adelon, you got to look at Elle Fanning for the great. I mean, she is literally great as Catherine the Great. And I really think if we're talking about Catherine the Great, again, I'm going to come back to Shit's Creek, man, because they, they, I'm, I am I am like a ballot top bottom voter on this, okay? Yeah. Even though I'm no longer a voter. Um, I think Catherine O'Hara was unbelievable. And I'm not just talking about the costumes. And the costumes right. literally should have their own award, literally and figuratively, because that was yeah. a character under herself. She was amazing as the as the socialite matriarch of the Rose family in this series, right, right up and beyond to the end. I just, right. I mean, again, I, I agree. 
I agree. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara would be such a great win here, as would Eugene Levy. We are agreed on that. Now, I just want to bring up, I did them for our recent contenders, which ran last weekend, and I, uh, I uh, described um, the uh, two stars of Dead to Me, Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini, as a modern-day Lucy and Ethel. And wow. uh, the way wow. they- a lot of love in uh, that, my friend. Well, you know, come on. The, the way they play opposite each other is, is so skillful. I like it. I think they will both get nominated and cancel each other out, however. I don't think, ah. you know, I, I think it's difficult. Um, although last year, Linda Cardellini was not uh, nominated, but this year, uh, I do think she'll get in. I, I think both of them. Uh, the critics that I read on some of that show didn't like it as much as the public seems to. I would, be, I, I think, would be one of those critics. I yeah, would and I think the critics. industry likes that show better than the critics. I may be wrong, but uh, I actually was entertained by the whole thing. I watched it all in like a weekend, you know. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm extremely entertained by the number of classic television name drops you have done so far. I, I do a lot. I am, I am fighting to get a Jackie Gleason reference in here, and I I've yet to find my right space here. I love Jackie Gleason. I was just talking about him the other day. He made a movie in 1963 called Papa's Delicate Condition. We were talking about this, how words take on new meaning. And you know, I collect posters and I ran across the poster the other day and it says, Jackie Gleason leads the gay parade. And oh. I'm thinking, boy, does that take on a different meaning now than it did in 1963, you know, but anyway, I digress. I gotta uh, say, I, I think I think if Uncle Jackie was, was alive today, he would be right there leading that parade. That well, man, that, would, that, man ma that man never turned away from a good time. Jackie Gleason would be because he also, you know, never. I'm glad we're talking about this, you know. He never won an Emmy. I know, I know. We Is have talked incredible. Do, do you know? Do you know this? You you just stole my entree into this. That was gonna be my thing. Do you know every year we talk about this? And every year I want I'm just I want the TV Academy to take us up. Like, where is the and an honorary posthumous Emmy goes to the great Jackie Gleason. No one cares I, anymore except us, you know. I, but I care a lot. I, I do. That man, that, and, and here's the thing, you get Tom Hanks to give it uh, posthumously to him for that great movie they made together, right? Uh, nothing, I mean, in, nothing in common, you know? If, if the, amazing, the amazing King Bert was alive, of course it would have been him, but clearly he is no longer with us either, like Jackie. But Jackie Gleason- Oh my God. So much of television that comes from his magic. By the way, if Jackie Gleason were here and playing that Never Have I Ever game, that would be an Emmy would be the answer. And that brings me to Never Have I Ever, which I think is a dark horse here if people have watched that show. I really oh, like I, that. I, I think Never Have I Ever, which is an amazing coming of age from a show created by Mindy Kalin and Lang Fisher. I, I think that it is, well, A, when you're talking about, for instance, how you think that there's a, a, a chasm between what the critics think and what the public thinks of Dead to Me, it's Netflix uh, cousin, never, never have I ever, is actually widely critically acclaimed and a global sensation. And, and tells you one of those stories about how looking at, at stories of, 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 of people from other backgrounds, of, and in this case, an Indian American uh, young woman who is dealing with loss and growth and all the things that go into life. And, and they embrace the complexity of the comedy, not, not just the, the one-liner, it is brilliant. So really whether is. or not it is the dark horse, whether or not it is the front runner, never have I ever has to be in here. And having said that, 
I want to get one more from you before we link to a great favorite of mine, Sir Patrick Stewart. Give me what is your number one for best supporting actor in a comedy this year. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, let me think about this. Okay. While you think about it, I will tell us. I will tell our wonderful listeners who mine is. It is the amazing Mahershala Ali, who oh. appears this year in Hulu's Rami, of course, Rami Joseph's uh, series, which won a Golden Globe earlier this year. Um, it, he plays uh, a mentoring sheikh at the new mosques that Rami's character, Rami, uh, joins. And once again, the Oscar winner, Emmy, I mean, come on, man. It's Mahershala Ali. Like, at this point, there's nothing Mahershala can't do. I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the Mahershala Ali variety show because I, I know that the man obviously can, can, can do, can dance, can do anything. He is amazing. And what's amazing about this performance is it is incredibly funny as well as incredibly moving, but he shows a, a stillness in comedy. Maybe I'll make a reference to the great Jackie Gleason. But he shows an ability. He masters this form so completely. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of good um, supporting actors in comedy. I personally have always loved Alan Arkin and the Kaminsky method. And I like, and I think maybe he's in a guest star category and not supporting because I think Alan's in supporting, is Paul Reiser is so good this year in that second season, by the way. He's never won an Emmy. It I was know, always went to Helen Hunt. I'm mad about you. But anyway, I think he's very good in that show. But Alan Arkin, come on, veteran right. guy, so good in everything. Uh, I thought maybe he should have won uh, last year, but uh, he didn't. And uh, he would get my vote uh, just for being Alan Arkin and always, oh, never, I have never seen a bad Alan Arkin performance. I really have not. And in that vein, I have never seen a bad performance by Sir Patrick Stewart, but he truly excels in his return as the glorious philosopher captain Jean-Luc Picard, now Admiral, now retired Admiral, actually, from Starfleet, in CBS's all-access Star Trek Picard, which had its first season debut earlier this year and will be back for a second season next year. Um, a truly magnificent performance and a very interesting one because it was a performance about maturation. It literally takes place... 20 years after the end of Star Trek's, uh, the Star Trek 2002 movie Nemesis. And that was very much a part of the way they wanted to put this new series together. So I had the great uh, opportunity. I talked to him numerous times when we did our Star Trek Picard podcast uh, earlier this year, but a great opportunity to talk to Sir Patrick again at our recent Contenders TV event. Take a listen here. This is where Captain, or now Admiral, now retired Admiral Picard, really finds himself again. You've talked a lot about how Picard was for you a difficult decision to get reinvolved in and something you wanted as a, as a productive and creative executive producer, you wanted to see a real scope to the character. Give us a sense of where you think he is now. How, how did he evolve over this first season? Well, he has learned to deal with some of the emotional and psychological problems that he had been having for the last 15, 12 or 15 years. Um, his falling out with Starfleet and with the Federation over the whole um, uh, immigrant situation and the, the, the hundreds of thousands of lives that were lost there. He may have made a mistaken decision he feels the guilt from the death of Data, which we saw at the end of our last Next Generation movie. 
uh, nemesis. And he feels that if anyone should have died in that event, it should have been him and not Data. Um, and uh, he is also bored because he has nothing to do. He's being looked after by two very lovely and beautiful Romulans, but his frustration, his sadness, his feeling of shame that he made some bad decisions. We saw none of this in the seven years and four feature films of The Next Generation. Uh, rarely was he ever in any doubt at all about any of his judgments or the decisions that he had made. Now he is. Now, one of the things you talked about is, of course, is you were, had some doubts yourself about coming back to play this legendary character. What ultimately convinced you to come back and do Star Trek Picard and to now clearly doing it for at least one more season, if not hopefully more? Yeah, well, you know, there had been other interested parties. I say that very politically. Over very dramatic, the yeah. 18 years who have approached me about reviving Star Trek The Next Generation or Star Trek Picard, something like that. And I've always thanked them kindly and moved on because I felt that we had done, I'm very proud of what we did with Next Generation, that uh, most of us came from nowhere. Uh, you know, if you didn't go to the Royal Shakespeare Company, you'd never heard who who Patrick Stewart was. You you may have heard, or maybe we've talked about it, that, that uh, the LA Times, when it announced the cast, described me as unknown British Shakespearean actor. Well, that's not entirely true, Sir Patrick, for, for some of us. But I know what you mean. I mean, definitely Star, Star Trek Next Generation, when you guys emerged in the mid-80s, was like, it was almost seen as a, as a weird up on upper cable afterthought. But what was it that made you think that maybe this time around there could be something new to do with Picard? It was when I saw the names of the people who wanted to meet with me. And you mean like Alex I, Kurtzman, people like that. Alex Kurtzman, Akiva Goldsman, uh, uh, Kirsten Beyer. And, and very soon after that, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, Michael Shevon. Who played the showrunner on Picard for a season. Yeah, he was, yes, for most of it. Not all of it, but most of it. And uh, this was a, a different kind of ensemble, writing ensemble, from the one that I've been talking to in the past. And however, my feelings were the same, that we had said and done everything there was to be said and done about Jean Picard, and I would pass. But I asked them if I could go and see them because I so respected each one of them that I felt I should make my explanation to their faces. Well, I did, and they listened very politely. But then they said, could we just take a little more of your time and talk about some of our ideas? Well, of course, I'm not going to say no to those guys. And by the time they finished talking, I knew what I wanted, and that was to have them put all these ideas on paper so that I could study them. And that led to a second meeting when we talked even more and I expressed my concern that I did not want to simply reprise what had happened in Next Generation. In every, I, in fact, uh, I, a little unfairly maybe, I compared it 
to the last movie that Hugh Jackman and I did in the X-Men franchise, Logan, which could not have been more different from every single moment in the films that had gone before. And I said, if you can do something like that, not the same thing, you know, I don't want to be driving around chanting nursery rhymes in a, in a shitty old wheelchair. But if you can find that um, transformation of the man and his spirits, then I'm up for it. And of course they did. They were very excited by that challenge, as you might expect, and away we went. And I am so glad that it worked out and that I made that decision. You guys had a glorious first season and there was a big response on CBS All Access. I remember last summer when you and I were at Comic-Con in San Diego, and even before that, when you stepped out at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, just a massive response from fans to see the beloved Picard back, to see you back playing Picard. But one thing that was very interesting about this first season to me was, besides the evolution we saw of Jean-Luc, there was an evolution of the other characters as well. You saw new characters, like we saw in the clip earlier, Alison Pill, there was Michelle Hurd. Um, there was also return characters who Picard had never actually dealt with from the Star Trek universe, like Jerry Ryan in Seven of Nine. And of course, there were some old friends like Jonathan Frakes, and to some degree, Data himself in various forms. What was that like for you? And, and how does that, you think, give us a sense of where Picard is going to be going forward into a season two? Oh, it was a very desirable and a very emotional experience to be reunited with Jonathan, with Marina Sirtis, and with Brent, who, although he doesn't appear that often, has a very, very significant role in season one, and maybe he might have again in season two. Um, but I can say no more than that. Sorry to be so coy. Um, and, and yes, Jerry Ryan, who in fact, I had only said hello to once and no more than that. And I loved the, the scenes that we had together in the first season and hope that there will be more. But um, this... Well, you guys are at the end of season one, you're on the ship. She's on your ship with your new crew. So we sort of yeah. see more of Picard and Seven of Nine together. Yeah, and I think we, we say something like, uh, you know, uh, we can we can go exploring or something like that. And uh, and I, 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 oh, no, I say to Alison about she's going to go traveling. And I say, well, maybe I'll join you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a little teasing, but, uh, but delightful. I, I also want to mention um, the whole company, the ensemble, as I like to call it, that we have in Star Trek Picard. Um, I had never worked with any of these people before. And the whole of the five, six months that we were working was a glorious time of getting to know these actors and their extraordinary talents as they blossomed, even in, in, in including Evan Evagoria, uh, who is an Australian actor and um, had not done very much, but to watch him grow and progress and and develop this fascinating character of a, a young man who'd been brought up by warrior nuns was intriguing. And there was not a scene or an actor uh, who, whose work and, uh, and what we had to share together that 
I never didn't look forward to the beginning of each day. And with that, we have engaged, as Jean-Luc would say. And here, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, you're listening to us now, which is fabulous, but make sure you subscribe to us as well on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you and your beloveds never miss an episode of Pete and I Yakking It Up. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon, my friends. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.